Welcome to the Wing Life Podcast, where we talk about wing foiling and the lifestyles of those who enjoy this great sport. Okay, all right, we're good to go, I think. Hey, Tom, it's great to meet you. Thanks a lot for joining yeah. us today. Hey, Luke. Pleasure to meet you as well. I'm happy to be here <laughs> and get some chat going about wing foiling. Do you ever think we'd ever talk about wing foiling on a global scale like this? Um, well, I wouldn't say that. I mean, when I, when I, you know, when I saw wing falling for the first time was probably in 2018 or 19, I thought I saw the first guys on a wing on a foil. And I mean, I, I come originally water sport wise from a windsurfing background. I started in the nineties and, um, there has been wings already mm-hmm. around in the nineties, um, as you might know or not know, I know, but, uh, there was something like a wing on a surfboard on a windsurf board at that time. And, uh, actually a friend of mine had that and that thing, but it only worked yep. with like 35 knots. Um, there was the only way to, 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 yeah. to run in this wing thing. And then when I saw in 2018, the first wing foiler, um, with some prototype gear, I was like, oh man. Now they're trying to bring back that wing thing back to life and 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 give it an, an you know a second chance or I don't know it looks really awkward and I wouldn't have thought it at that time but then in twenty yeah in twenty nineteen I I get it I gave it a go myself on some friends equipment which was not suitable and it didn't really like go very far it was not very successful so I was like ah oh, it's all right but you know didn't really mm-hmm. hook me at that time. And then in 2020, um, you know, we were in Mauritius here and we got locked on the island for 18 months. You know, the airport was closed and and we had a couple of gear around here and ah, I gave it another go and I had equipment that was kind of suitable and, and uh, yeah, and, and got, got, you know, hooked pretty quick because I really figured out how easy it is to learn that sport. And um, when I saw within... A week you know how far you can progress we were here uh, on, on, on Mauritius with you know we didn't we had very limited gear I had a couple of foils from uh, surf foiling that I've been using and I had a friend who has a shop who had um, some boards actually we didn't have real wing foil boards we were we were we used modified SUPs and put the foil box inside and and uh, and yeah, that was working like 9.8 foot long things, you know, that we were like no straps on it. And then pretty soon tried to take those things to Mana- to the waves as well. So riding the waves on this massive oh, yeah. SUP on a foil. And, um, and then, uh, yeah, and a friend of mine um, from the Ozone guys actually who develop here in Mauritius, they gave us a wing and said like, hey, I have one in the garage. I'm not on the island, but just take it and, you know, use it. And then... Within a week, I kind of understood the potential of this sport. Like, I have never done something. I mean, I do a lot of water sports coming from as a windsurf background. I do kite surfing, surfing, SUP. Um, I did windsurf foiling. I did kitesurf foiling. Both didn't really hook me that hard. But um, when I got onto wing foiling, and I really understood that's more about, you know, you don't have that much of an engine in your hands like you have on a windsurf sail or a kite, you really ride a foil. I understood the potential of that. And that, um, you know, I was, we were, I mean, the whole wing foil virus hit us really 
bad here on the island and we were like on the water it was yeah. pandemic it was closed you know there were no tourists around the whole spot was here just oh, for man. five friends and, and we were and we were um yeah, we were wing foiling every day oh, three awesome. four five hours you know that's what we did and 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 uh it was a crazy good season it was pumping waves all the time and the wind was good and yeah I was so stoked how quick the progress on this equipment is. And that kind of showed me the potential. And, um, and that's also how it motivated us to really push and say, hey, this mm -hmm. board is going to go big. And uh, the industry was already pushing at that moment um, as I've been and still am involved in the kite uh, world tour as well. Um, organizing the kite world tour as a tour manager um, together with my partner and the, the CEO of the of the kite tour okay. Jürgen Vogt from Germany and then we were talking about this I mean this this sport is going to go big and we should do something about it and the industry was pushing behind it too and said like mm -hmm. guys we need to organize this and that's how we all started and oh, started no the GWA and started the first an association around wing foiling and then also started the first competitions And yeah, at that moment, I realized we could sit here at one time and maybe talk about wing falling. But before that, yeah. I was really not aware of that, yeah. to come back to your question. Um, uh, actually, what's the potential of this sport? And now we are three years later, and it's crazy how, how quick this sport has developed. I mean, I've been in the beginning, not in the beginning of windsurfing. I started windsurfing in 94. There was already 15 years of windsurfing before me, or 20 But I saw kite surfing from the beginning, starting in the end 90s and 2000s. And I don't think kite surfing has progressed that quick in the first years like winging did now, mm -hmm. the, part, the first years. So it really shows, you know, it's suitable. Uh, a lot more spots you can do it in, let's say, worse conditions, more gusty conditions. You need yeah. deep water, obviously, for the foil. But um, yeah, um, it shows us also on, on the events. You now, suddenly, we look at venues where you would never organize yeah, that's a windsurf event. Yeah. And, um, and, and, and this opens a lot more doors, you know, in terms of venues where you can hold mm -hmm. events. And I've been, as I said, my, my, my background is coming more from windsurfing. I was competing myself on the world tour in windsurfing for a couple okay. of years, for like eight years. And then I started getting on the organizational side and I, I ran the winds, the European windsurfing tour for 12 years. I organized that tour and then I switched on the kite tour um, and started working on the kite world tour since 2018. And now we started also the wing tour. And um, yeah, there is definitely a lot of places where before we did wing or kite and now uh, windsurf mm -hmm. or kite and now we do wing. But there are also new locations where I think wouldn't be a prime spot for windsurf or kite surf, but it works totally fine for a wing fall event. And, and that's oh, yeah. know, one of the big potentials, obviously, of the sport. Yeah, it opened up, um, opens up new demographics, so younger kids, because like windsurfing and whatnot is a little bit more challenging for somebody with less, let's say, upper body strength or who's still developing and stuff like that. Um, it's also a completely different feeling. It almost feels like powder snowboarding, powder skiing, and then me getting more into those sports now it's like well if you don't get to the hill and you sneak under a boundary all your powder's gone in 15 minutes <laughs> but with this like it, even if it's in gusty whatever and you got foot little foot wind chop you can still ride that yeah, so it's like uh, this sensation and feeling is just the freedom you get from it. it's unbelievable 
Yeah, yeah, totally. That's what I was what meant before. Like this, I think the whole thing about hydrofoils in general, not only wing foiling, you know, be it toe foiling, wake foiling, surf foiling, um, SUP foiling, now downwind foiling, SUP downwind or prone uh, downwinding is getting really big, although mm -hmm. it's very technical, obviously. But um, the whole foiling let's say technology has brought such a new aspect suddenly to the whole water sports um, oh, yeah. world. And uh, it's a whole different way to look at it. You know, you, you look at different waves to ride. It's a different way to move. You really, that's what I like. We in wing falling, as I said, over, over windsurf falling and kite falling, because you really, you're riding mainly, the goal is to ride with the energy of the ocean not so much with the energy of the wind. Obviously, you need a wing to get up flying. But in the end, you know, you're riding with a little bit of power on your wing, but you really try to, to use your foil as much as you can. And the foils get oh, much yeah. more efficient yeah. nowadays. Um, then the first, well, obviously, the first foils we used were not, you know, now you have specific wing foils, but um, we were riding on kite foils, especially in the waves. And um, here in Mauritius, we, we have powerful waves, reef breaks. So we're riding on, on big, powerful waves on the foil, and we were using we were using kite small kite foils, which work great on the waves, but are really hard to ride on flat water because oh yeah, properly powered up. And uh, now the new generation of foils for wing um, for wing foiling got uh, way more efficient for for this kind of use with having the glide, still mm -hmm. having the speed, and. Um, yeah, the sensation, like you say, I think that's the reason why downwind, downwind mm -hmm. foiling in any, uh, any, any way is getting, is getting so popular because suddenly... This episode is brought to you by Saladita Kite School in La Ventana, Mexico. If you caught some of our uh, stories yesterday on Instagram, you'll have seen that. I just got in a couple epic days of downwinding. We got a 10 kilometer downwinder done with my buddy mickey from salt spring island today i got in an epic one with my friend Britt. um we went from latuna all the way to the beach and back um heck of a fun time if you're looking to learn there's nothing better than getting a lesson from the pros at saladita kite school they are positioned at latuna and now that i've been here a little while i've gotten the opportunity to visit to a couple different spots it is one of the more beginner friendly beaches with some nice sand so you're not walking on any rocks. Um, they do offer professional jet ski assisted kite and wing foil lessons. Um, so once again, they're at Latuna. So if you want to grab a beer after, grab some ice cream, grab anything, it is a nice little hub there. So you're not just stuck kind of in the middle of nowhere. So they have you covered if you want to learn how to kite, foil, or looking into downwinding. They got top quality gear as well. Uh, so don't hesitate. Book your lessons today by visiting saladitalaventana.com or send them a message on Instagram at Saladita Kite School. At Saladita Kite School. You're surfing the wind swell. You're surfing the bumps that you would never thought about surfing on the surfboard. Or oh, yeah. It opens else. up. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Even it opens a up a whole... Like for maybe 60% of the world or whatever that are on lakes, rivers, streams, everything else, like it opens up that hold. I'm a surfer too now. Like I can surf because like it jumps, it, it opened that boundary that was no, was, wasn't there. Like if you want to get into real surfing, A, you have to be in the right location, B, a lot of time put in, put into it. But with this, you're learning a lot quicker. It's still technical. 
Um, but yeah, you're definitely learning a lot quicker than you would be otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is one of the main reasons why so many people get into wing falling now is I think I have never done any, any sport or water sport, especially with such a steep learning curve. It's crazy. I mean, especially if you come from a water sport background and you know windsurfing or kiting or surfing, oh, it's it's a matter of days, you know, to, to really have fun and ride on small equipment. You know, if you compare that to windsurfing, I think on windsurfing, you, you might be able to start even mm-hmm. younger than on wing falling, but you will true, not go fast. You will just yep. stand around on a board. That's true. Um, you will not have the sensation of flying or going really fast planning on the water. So... Um, this you can get very, very quick. And the, the fact that it's so suitable for young people, that was something I didn't realize in the beginning too of the sport. I realized that after a year, in the beginning, a lot of people were like, ah, oh, yeah, wing falling. That's what all the old guys do that I don't want to hide or surf anymore. And now you have more young people than anything else getting into this sport just because the equipment is so oh, much yeah. more suitable. And because, um, yeah, I mean, you can, with seven, eight years old, you, you, you get on the 20, 25 little board, a small foil and a small wing, and that's all you need to progress mm-hmm. your level super quick. It's not heavy. Um, it doesn't need to be, you need to, doesn't need to have strong physics actually to handle it compared to a kite. You know, a, a seven year old on a kite has a hard time to control it. And most of the parents don't even want to take the risk of doing that or putting their kid no, on a kite at seven no. years. And yeah, windsurfing gear is heavy. Yeah. So so that's why it opens up to young people so much. And that's great to see because these these gonna stay in the sport hopefully for long. And maybe there comes another thing in twenty years. Um but we have no idea what's gonna we'll come, see. but uh, <laughs> you know Matt Pritchard and Caden Caden Pritchard from Maui? Uh, we had Caden on at the start um, of yeah. the podcast and the tricks, like he's what, he was 13, the stuff he's pulling on that. Um, I think he was working on, yeah, 720 both ways, front flip, back flip, all that stuff. Right. And it's just a 13 year old <laughs> kid throwing this and throwing 30 foot airs <laughs> and just like hand gliding meets this, whatever. It's unbelievable. It's crazy. Um, and then all those gliding videos, like we're talking to Wyatt, he was saying that some of them will get a million views in a very, very short period of time. And, and it's not really? like this crazy triple back, whatever windsurfing thing. It's this kid jumping off a bluff and, and he's just holding on to this wing and he's like, it'll just explode. So I don't know, but obviously that can go straight into hang gliding and then get into some serious, <laughs> serious injuries. But he himself was also surprised at, how is this getting so much visibility? Like it's a kid jumping on holding something. It must be the fun and the freedom aspect that like windsurfing, I, I found you have to earn it. So yeah. you have to put in your five, six, seven, eight years, and then it becomes super fun. Kiting kind of the same thing, right? Like you have to learn your basics, your fundamentals, and then it can be super fun, mm-hmm. but it's almost like they just morphed and bridged together. And then you got, the fun aspect of kiting and that kind of stuff all mashed together with this new foil. And now the fun aspect, I think is just exploding even higher. Yeah. yeah. No, no, I, I think to- totally that's, that's, that's one, one thing. I mean, there's hardly anybody who falls more than three years no. I mean, from nowadays that the, the first guys that were just experience, I mean, the first, the first gear commercial gear you could buy in the mm-hmm. shop was in 2019 and it was maybe two, three brands. So, then I think we're really like 
I'd say a lot of people started it was 2020 and 2021, and that's three years ago. So there is no nobody really who put in more time than that yet, except a few guys that were the pioneers. But um, and look at the level. Look, look at what, what what people are doing in this short amount of time. And it's mainly the kids that push the level. But yeah, also the also the for us on the tour, you know, we were we were already worried a little bit that the progression mm. will already stop. And we said, like, no, we can't, that can't happen. It's like three years into the sport. There's so much more to explore. So now that's why, for example, we started this year with two new disciplines on the world to having a pure wave for the, the guys, you know, who are not into doing double backflips or 720s or even 1080s, but who want to surf. So we got the pure wave discipline for people that have come for pure surfing and yes. they don't want to do backflips. Um, and uh, and we added the bigger discipline where we're going to have our first event um, in a month from now oh, in no Canary, in Pozo, where we're going to see how high oh. how high people can go. We're going to have we're going to have our athletes uh, going to going to wear um, okay. uh, sensors on their wetsuits, so we're going to have live data on hang time, height, travel time in the air, and uh, we're going to figure out. I, mean, I know a couple of wingfellers did that already, but we want to see it on a competition level with the best guys in the world and see where is the limit at the moment. Okay. What is Any the ideas at where it's at right now? Um, yeah, well, I know that uh, I think Tituan was already using a device last year just for fun to see how high he goes, and I think he was like at 12, okay. 13 meters. But he told me that that he that was not the highest jumps he did in his life. He knows he was already bigger than that. So hard to say, but I think I would expect 15 meters plus, especially in a place oh, yeah. like Poso, um, Grand Canaria. I mean, it's, it pumps. <laughs> it has regular winds of 40 to 50 knots, so it's going to be windy. Whoa! And we <laughs> hope the equipment can uh, can handle. It's come a long way, though. Like what um, equipment? Obviously the first wings that you tried, like what were those like compared to what they are now night and day, but kind of curious to see what your progression is through even the equipment you had in Mauritius. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've been very stoked, very surprised already how good the equipment was already right in the beginning, because with all the, the, the brands having their experiences from windsurfing and kiting um, already put into, I think the first equipment that were available, very, 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 advanced actually for that time and i haven't thought that there's still so much room to progress in a short time but i think yeah i think that in wing and in foil development especially um, especially wing development a lot of um, progression has been done in the last 22 years mainly mm -hmm. materials i think it's not that the wings look no. totally different but um they, they got more efficient being in the beginning. I think most of the wings that I was using were not as powerful because you didn't want them that powerful. You wanted wings that can be ridden neutral on a wave and flag out nicely and don't have too much pull. But now you want to be able to use the smallest possible wing. It means you want to mm -hmm. have super powerful wings. Um, I mean, I'm very okay. heavy, for example, and I really like powerful wings because I can oh, still yeah. ride it on the small size. Yeah. And, uh, but it's for everybody else as well. You know why you want to go a square meter smaller if you have the same efficiency and way better handling. And then obviously it's the mm -hmm. materials. Yeah. That, um, 
that's been uh, there's a lot of R&D work into materials and I see a lot of brands obviously at the events as well um, a lot of team riders using prototypes um, that they're testing that go into production mm-hmm. sometime after and yeah there's a lot of of, of um, material testing at the moment uh, on the on the uh, tubes you know, being Alula now more and more brands getting into Alula or even other materials trying to get into maybe smaller diameters um, so you can make it more aerodynamic but still achieve the the rigidity of the wing that's needed and then also the canopy materials Um, there's a lot of um, experimental let's say uh, from windsurfing like mono similar to monofilm equipment you know Mm -hmm. like a bit more stiffer uh, lighter equipment but you always want to have it really depends on for what for what use you know in the end if you want to have a wing that's uh, that's for pure racing um, that's another thing than the yeah. wing you want to ride on the waves yeah absolutely um, or even jumping but there has been yeah i'm 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 still surprised how much and even within half a year how big the steps were on on development the last years i think it's now if I look at it now, 2023 and all the wings on the market, I'm always keen to, to try a lot of different wings if I have the possibility to get my hands on it. And um, I can see now that these signs are going more in a similar direction than the last years. Like this, the, let's say the high performance wings that are super powerful, made for people who, you know, who have a good level in winging, are looking, looking at it, there are more similar shapes now from the different bands than it oh, has yeah. been two years yeah. ago. Canopy tension has been a huge thing, even shape and size. There's a few brands that are going with more C-shape and they're kind of flatter. The other ones are cutting off their wingtips a bit, so they're a little bit better for, for waves and for different things. But um, yeah, I guess we're going to have to see where this goes. And yeah. and um, But hey, for our listeners at home who are just getting to meet you for the first time, can we walk them back a little bit and tell them a bit about you and how you found wind sports in the first place? all right and i have to dig (laughs) really far back though but but (laughs) so well i'm okay let's start like this well i come from austria vienna so i come from a landlocked country without ocean that's how (laughs) how it all started so i didn't grow up in an ocean place i grew up in the middle of a city Mm. in the middle of europe um my dad's been a very um active sailor um, sailing boats so I've been with wind water sports and sailing since a very young age but he never did any board sports and then I've been sailing since oh, wow. I'm okay. four years old and then I was about 14 years maybe um, yeah but it was always I always felt like this is for old people I was like no I I know I need something with more action and then I was 14 years old and in our mailbox I found on a day catalog a brochure of the hmm. windsurf shop and i opened it and i saw the and i saw all the pictures of you know robbie nash in hawaii and all the, the icons at that time beer and dunker back and you know doing jumps and you know the windsurf with the board and i was like no this is what i want to do you know this is why why do i okay. do sitting this is what i want to do so i yeah so i persuaded my mom to <laughs> to get me a windsurfing gear for my birthday and um, I had no idea. I had no idea um, 
what I actually need. So at that time, that was before internet time. It was 94, right? Internet just started, but there was not a lot on the internet yet at that time. And, um, and um, yeah, so I opened the newspaper, you know, in the bazaar, like uh, buying and selling uh, secondhand equipment. And I said, well, I don't know what I actually need, but um, like my mom has a house at the lake in Austria, okay? Um, at the lake uh, where it's never probably, on a good day, it's 12 knots. So it's really light wind. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> okay. and I, yeah, so not really an ideal winter spot. You know, now there's a lot of foiling there actually at the lake. But at that time, so, well, I went through this brochure. I said, well, I need this um, wave board and a race sail. So things that are really not compatible, but I had no okay. clue at that time. So we went to, to buy this equipment from a guy and um, I had then, I never, I never went to the windsurfing school. I just bought a book online um, called How to Learn Windsurfing in 10 Hours. I read this book oh, about no many times. And, uh, and with this book, I was standing on the, on the lake, on the shore of the lake with my equipment. I remember it was April. It was a, it's a mountain lake. It's really cold. It was about 10 oh, degrees boy. water yeah, temperature. Okay. So I was I was wearing a dry diving suit. I looked like a, an astronaut, <laughs> yeah. if yeah. you know a dry diving suit, with where you wear your whole clothes under it. So I didn't have a wetsuit even. And I tried with this book to learn windsurfing with a board that was for an expert and not for a beginner, and it was not very successful. So yeah, my mom saw that and she has yeah she felt sorry for it and then. In the end, um, yeah, she got me a little bigger board, like a beginner board. And with that board, I started uh, windsurfing with this book the whole summer on the lake. Oh, so no way. I never did a lesson. Uh, yeah, well, I wouldn't recommend that to anybody. I think if I would have gone to a windsurfing school, I would have learned it like 10 times faster than what I did. But, well, I was very obsessed yeah. with it, let's say. <laughs> the whole summer, I was just training windsurfing. So that was my first year. And then I, yeah, and then from there on, I, I went, there's a good spot actually close to Vienna. The best spot in Austria is a lake close to Vienna. It's half an hour. So I didn't windsurf much until I had my driver's license. And when I was 18, I was able to drive to the lake myself and really go whenever, whenever it was windy. And, uh, yeah. And then I started, um, I started working because I really wanted to windsurf and Austria was not the right, right place to do it all year round. I started hmm. to work a lot as an instructor. So I went, I spent two years in Greece. I was in Lake Garde in Italy. Um, I was in Brazil, um, around my 20 years old age, 21. And I, I did a lot of training on windsurfing and I got quite a decent level. And, uh, I went to university at the same time, uh, started studying, uh, international business management and, um, but I, yeah, and then I, I, I started to, to do some competitions uh, in windsurfing just for fun. And yeah, and actually did quite well. So I wanted to do more competitions and, um, and also found my first, uh, my first sponsor oh, no was way. Nash uh, at that time. And, <laughs> like um, the magazine. That's pretty cool. Uh, got some, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, it was, there's a. There was a link because because the the product manager of Nash is an Austrian guy that I knew and you know so we come out get connected so they started to support me give me some gear and uh, yeah then I started competing on the European on the freestyle pro tour uh, in windsurfing 
And freestyle was just getting bigger at that time. And uh, yeah, we had a lot of events and I've been traveling around the world competing in, in, in windsurfing. And uh, yeah, I really enjoyed that. I mean, I never won a world title or European title, but I've always, yeah. Get some good had finishes. Some yeah, you're top results. 10, right? Yeah, I did, I did some top top 10 results. I was in the top 10 most of the time, but I never won a world cup or anything. So never, never been on the top, top of it. But yeah, it's for me, you know, to be honest, it was not so much about winning as most more the experience with, you know, traveling with friends and doing, and doing what we love to do. And in the end, I was super stoked to be able to, you know, to, to, to live out of my passion, you know, and that it couldn't save any money though. I spent everything for the whole year competing, but in the end I, I, I could, you know, I could, I could do what I wanted to do. I was still, I was still studying at that time. Um, and then I went to Mauritius for study because I had to go somewhere for my, for my, for my international business studies. And I wanted to go somewhere where I can win surf. So I said, okay, I want to go somewhere where I can make the most out of it. And I had a friend who's been in Mauritius the year before and he told me, ah, oh, it's a really good place. I had no idea about this place. So, well, why not? I'm just going to go there for six months, uh, join the university for as much as I have to. I just did like three lessons a week for like two hours each. And the rest okay. of the time I've been on the beach. <laughs> and, um, and then, yeah. And then I showed up in Mauritius and it was in 2003. It was really early days here. And we, you know, there were some windsurfers, but kiting was just starting. It was not a very popular spot at that time because it had a, it had a, a, a um, an interesting image. You know, everybody talked about Mauritius, everybody was saying, ah, oh, it's never windy. It's full of sharks. People die there all the time, heavy localism. And when I showed up in Mauritius, I was like, I mean, this is paradise. It's windy. It's waves every day. I don't know what everybody's talking about. This place is amazing. And then the yeah. said, yeah, but <laughs> there you go. Don't tell a soul. Don't tell, any, don't tell anybody, <laughs> yeah. you know. That's how that works. <laughs> and, um, um, but I mean, it's a very accessible place, easy to reach from anywhere. It works all year round. It's not something that gets kept a secret for too long, no? Um, and um, then also, you know, the windsurf centers and kite centers opened here and started promoting it. And obviously, the the place blew up pretty quick in kiting, especially. Um, but uh, yeah, I also started a bit of kiting at that time. But because I was right, you know, into professional windsurfing, I didn't want to waste too much time for anything else than windsurfing. I was really focused on training and being good in windsurfing. So, but um, yeah, at, at some point, and when I went, came to Mauritius, that was my first contact with waves. So I started riding windsurfing waves, and I fell in love with it. I was like, man, this. You know, now I'm here in a place, freestyle yeah. is fun, but this is the real stuff. Uh, and um, so I started training waves and then competed in waves as well. Um, but uh, I never did like the full world tour in waves because I didn't really like the venues where the world tour was holding competitions. I was more into really riding pure surf breaks like we had in Mauritius instead of doing jumping in, in the Canary Islands <laughs> in 50 knots. Yeah, so that was the windsurfing side of things. I, I I started competing then in waves, and I really enjoyed it. So I didn't I did more projects and organized a couple of events and joined a few competitions with good conditions. But I was not doing the world <laughs> tour in waves really, 
because I didn't like the, the places that much were not suiting my style of riding. I was more into real pure surf wave oh, riding. Man. And I did a couple of the wave classic competitions in Réunion and for the North shore and these okay. places. And, um, yeah. And then in 29, 2009, I had, um, had quite a bad accident and I, I had a crash just before the first event of the season in Austria and I broke my shoulder okay. completely and I was out for, the whole season basically and at that time the 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 european windsurfing tour was looking for um, a race director and head judge um, and they asked me because i've been organizing events if i want to do it and i was like well perfect i mean i'm still going to travel with my friends that mm -hmm. i used to compete with now i'm organizing and helping as a judge or being the head judge but uh, i'm still going to do the same okay. thing i did before oh. So I started doing this, um, being the head judge and race director for the, for the European windsurfing tour. And, um, by the end of the season, I was starting to, you know, I, I did rehab and my shoulder was back up again. And yeah, I was, I wasn't riding for six months. Basically it happened in April and I started riding again in October. And, um, but yeah, because I had fun doing it and organizing these events, I and they asked me if I want to continue. I didn't really go back into competition, full competition anymore, and started developing this path and 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 then working with the PWA World Tour and the European Tour. And the year after, I also took over the tour management for the European Tour because there was nobody doing it. It was like a difficult times, you know, financial crisis, mm -hmm. two thousand nine. Um, nobody had money to do events and yeah so i started building this tour again at that at that year and yeah i i, I ran the european windsurfing tour um since then 20, 2009 until basically oh, two wow. years ago okay. um still kept it going and we built it up to i think mm -hmm. quite a good level and uh yeah i've been i've been then after after a couple of years later about 2014 or 15 i decided to move to mauritius because i was not really yeah i didn't have to stay anywhere in a, in a place for a job so i could do it from everywhere and i felt like i was traveling at that time like six months on tour in a year and then i was three months in austria and three months in Mar i came back to mauritius every year after i studied here i came back every year here for like three months of training because i just liked the place and so at one point 10 years later i said like why not move and put my home base down here so so i moved to mauritius in 2014 started a business about water sport tourism here um we are you know we were running a guest house um apartments villas a car rentals equipment rental uh, for windsurfing surfing sup then now i still run this business now having now we have a little wing foiling school we, oh, nice. we do um you know rent wing foil equipment i import a couple of brands that we sell here on the island but it's not a huge market so anyways um so so i have a, a small business here with water sports tourism but i've been still running the windsurfing tour and then in 2017 I had, um, yeah, my, my partner, my colleague Jürgen, um, approaching me and saying like, Hey, you know, we have just started the GK, which was the kite, the new kite tour at that time started in 2015. And, um, am I interested to work on the tour for some events? And in the beginning I said like, I don't know, um, I'm pretty busy with the windsurf tours, the world tour and the European tour that I've been doing most, like all the events basically. Yeah. 
Um, I don't know if I have time for that. And then kiting was a bit, you know, like difficult at that time in terms of how the tour was organized. It was changing every year and there was not like a very clear structure. But Jürgen, I helped him at some of the kite event like here in Mauritius. And um, he, well, I really liked his vision, you know, of where he wanted to take the kiting sport and what his ideas are and we were yeah talking for months from time to time and then at one point i said like when they showed me the calendar and which events he asked me to do i was like well actually it fits in my calendar why not let's do it and i did just like for one discipline started to manage the kite tour and then by the end of that year that was 2018 i did a few events um well we were talking and he asked me, okay, what do you think does this new tour need, you know, to, to, you know, to excel, to be bigger. And I told him, well, I don't, I think you need a tour manager because you need somebody who really dedicates his time to run that thing and not only go to a few events, mm-hmm. um, but not expecting myself actually to do that. But he said, mm-hmm. well, you want to do it. And because I'm, well, if I do that, I have to obviously scale down on some other things I do. So we found an agreement in the end and said, okay, let's, let's go ahead. And then in, in the following year, the tour got even bigger than I thought because all the disciplines came together under one roof. So instead of, it was only a wave tour before the GK. And then at that time it came freestyle on the wing and big air and hydrofoil came the year later. So in 2019, we had quite a big tour already that I was running, um, the whole tour management for the kite tour. Oh wow! And okay. uh, yeah, it was all starting super well, going into 2020, even more promising, even more events, <laughs> and then the pandemic hit. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we've been yeah, so we've been slowing down on 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 the kite tour, and we were still you know we didn't want to shut it down, so we were organizing. I was working on some projects, developing an online competition. We did a World Cup that was fully uh, online. So oh really? The, the, the world the world athletes had to record their heats wherever they were in the world. And then we basically built it together like a live stream. So if you watch it, it was looking like a live stream. They're competing against each other, fully judged. Obviously everything edited beforehand. It was not a real life competition, but they didn't see what the others do. So they had a certain criteria of tricks they needed to do. Anyway, that goes too much in detail, but it was an online yeah, competition no, okay. called, the, called the Distance Battle. And, and um, <laughs> so we were trying to push through that year. And then, yeah, and then this was the year 2020 where I got, yeah, we had lockdown. I remember we had the first event of the season in Cape Verde for kiting. I, ke- I came back to Mauritius a week after that event, luckily, I would say. Mm-hmm. And a week later, the island shut its airports for wow. a long time. And uh, I was lucky to be here because my girlfriend being here, uh, you know, running the, the, the company together. And if I would not have been here at that moment, I probably would not have come back here for six months. Oh, wow. I would not okay. have been able to enter. So I was lucky to be in Mauritius and, you know, how it was. Pandemic started. Nobody knew what's going to happen, how long it's going to take. We were just waiting. So, well, we've been locked up in a house basically for three months. And then it opened up and... Mauritius was interesting because they shut down the 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 airport within. We had three cases on the island, and mm-hmm. the day after six in the morning, the airport was closed. Oh wow! So okay. no flights in, no flights out. Decent. And, um, 
Yeah. <laughs> at least it's going to shut it Supermarkets down. Gonna... <laughs> Supermarkets closed. But because of that strict lockdown here um, and being an island, being isolated, it got under control very quick. So within mm -hmm. two months, we had no more cases on the island. Okay. And uh, after three months, the island didn't open its airport and its borders, but it opened up, let's say, normal life again. There mm -hmm. were no, no masks because we had zero cases on the island. There was no mask required. It was more parties than ever. Well, in Europe, everything was completely crazy. Oh, yeah. And uh, we were living in the bubble here. Hmm. And, that's, and, that's, and that's where... That's where wing foiling wing came foiling. along. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And then wing foiling came along. And then suddenly, yeah, as I explained earlier, I know I had some foils. I got some wings from a friend who wasn't here because it wasn't there. I said, hey, go in my garage, take the wing and have fun. So we started wing foiling. And then we were a bunch of people like Willow. Um, Willow River is known from kiting. Now really into winging too. And couple of others we just met every day at the beach you know like four or five friends everybody brought his gear some people had foils some had wings some had boards as i said we, oh, nice. we built boards even because it, it took six months to get equipment here you know there was no there was no shipments to get to mauritius oh, yeah, i ordered fair. some wing boards it took six months to get here so we had to, to figure something out to ride no so we've been we've we've been just like yeah it was epic i mean it was like it was this you know kind of pioneer try and error times we were just meeting at the beach you know trying whenever somebody brought a new piece of wing or board or foil everybody wanted to try and yeah and we shared all the real. gear and we're and we're and we're riding outside you know and all of us you know my girlfriend myself um, uh, willow and a guy who has a surf shop here and um yeah and then very quickly actually we all came from decent level of windsurfing and kite surfing so we wanted to take it to the waves pretty quick oh yeah and and went out <laughs> went out there on those big waves in mauritius in summer it was a crazy season i remember it's been like pumping non-stop wind and waves like really mm -hmm. like big days okay and yeah we, we've been we've been riding every day with with these I would say, you know, like first phase equipment. And um, and that was the moment, as I explained, where I realized the potential of this sport. And then in 2020, in the same year, in the summer, uh, Jürgen from Who Together Run the Jeek, the Kite World Tour, and we said, well, let's, let's do the wing. Let's do the wing association. And then we said, well, let's do an event. And, and, and we were, and we were, you know, came up with a concept for a foil event. And tried to, to, to get some somebody to run that and buy that that concept basically. And it was 2020. I mean, it was the first pandemic year. There were no events. There was no traveling. But we had an organizer in Brazil who was crazy enough to say, yes, let's do it. Okay. And yeah. And it was in November 2020. So we said, okay, let's do it. Let's go to Brazil and run the first Wingfall World Cup. Or huh. not really World Cup, the first event, the first World Tour event. And it was a, we called it the foil, um, the super foil event in Fortaleza in Brazil oh, in November, 2020, we invited all like, let's say the pioneers of the sport that were at that moment there, you know, like Bats Müller, Tito Angalea, Zane Schweitzer, Kai Lenny, like all the, the, the guys who were like pushing the sport at that time, not everybody came, but we had Bats, we had Tituan, we had Kauli Siadi, we had, a. Yeah, bunch of we had like about twenty guys and a few girls that showed up. That's enough. And I remember every, everybody was saying, "Hey, 
you cannot go to Brazil. This is the hell on earth. You know, in the media, it was just like the worst place to ever travel at that moment. Everybody has got COVID, you know, and we said, well, well, we're going to give it a try. You know, we were even short to cancel it already, but we made it. We traveled there. We got everybody of these 20 guys to, to get to Brazil. And it was totally different than the media explained. You know, it was, I mean, people were pretty easy going in Brazil. Nobody used masks and was a lot of parties. It was, you know, they were doing their thing like Brazilians do. So, um, yeah, so we run this foil event, and this for me was an, a really, really amazing experience doing this event because we had no idea what these guys going to show us. Mm -hmm. All of these people had never ridden before with each other. They only knew each other from, from social media. They only knew what other guys do on social media. They have never seen each other on a wing for before. So, and it was really, really special, special week. We stayed there for a week and these 15 or 20 guys were riding every day, all day together with or without competition. You know, it was not so much who wins this thing. It was just, there were guys like Cowley or Miso Fernandez who comes from a oh, really yeah. good surfball background. Yep. We had guys from kiting background, guys from windsurfing background, guys from surfing background or no background. And, um, you know, you could see Bart Müller, who was kind of the, let's say, the, the top guy on the freestyle side, inventing new moves all the time, but doesn't have the wave experience. The mm -hmm. conditions were like 50% wave, 50% uh, freestyle. And, you know, and they were pushing each other's level within this week. The guys who couldn't surf learned surfing. The guys who couldn't freestyle learned freestyle. And all of them went out of the week with double or triple the level they went into the week. It was oh, wow. amazing to see. It was amazing to see, you know? And, um, yeah. And that for me, this was a, a really unique experience, you know, to be there doing the first ever event. Oh yeah. Um, That's special. And seeing all these guys. <laughs> yeah. That are, you know, the ambassadors of the sport at that moment and still are. And, and, and seeing, you know, what's possible and how quick they still progress. And while being in Brazil, you know, we had pretty strong media from this event and all the world, you know, was watching what's going on in that, like all the wingfall world, okay? At that yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we still, not all the world, <laughs> but all the people who were at the wingfall. Well, we, we'd love that. At that, <laughs> at, at that time. Yeah. And uh, while being in Brazil, we already signed the second event for just two months, for just a month later in Tarifa, said like, guys, we want to have the same thing. We want to have a wingfall uh, world tour event in Tarifa. And we did like, after Christmas, between Christmas and New Year, the next event already. That was mid-November where we did the event in Fortaleza and we signed already mm -hmm. the second event for six weeks later in, 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 in Spain. Um, oh, just like and that. Then, yeah, yeah. They were like, hey, it's so cool. What do you guys do? We want to have the same thing in Spain. Let's do it. Awesome. And, um, and then, uh, yeah, and then we said, like, come on. I mean, these four, we were working on the formats, obviously, you know. We're like, okay, how can a freestyle or wave comp or racing comp or whatever look like, you know. So we were experimenting with these athletes. You know, what do you think? Is there a cool format? Does this work for you? What's, you know, is it fun? And, um, and then, yeah, and then the year after, we said, well, let's do the first tour. Let's crown that first world champion, you know, in 2021. So, and yeah, after these two events, we already got, I think, five or six organizers for 2021 who are ready to have the budget. And it was still pandemic restrictions, you know, traveling mm -hmm. wasn't easy at the time, neither running events. A lot of the events in 21 we run 
were without spectators. It wasn't allowed to have spectators at events. Fair enough. Yeah. So, so we we went to France, super restricted. Everybody had to do daily COVID tests. You know, all the crew, all the athletes, no spectators allowed. It was a pure media event. Yeah. So in 2021, we ran the first year with um, two disciplines: surf okay. freestyle, like a mix of uh, waves and, and freestyle, depending on the conditions, and like a slalom discipline. We never really wanted to go too deep into the pure racing thing, so we really always wanted to really focus on 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 on, on the you know so the advantages that a foil had. So downwinding, we wanted to do more downwind pumping, these kind of things. So we've been running um, the first world tour. I think we had a stop in France. That was the first one. We did one in, uh, what was the next one? There was one in Tarifa again. There was one in Brazil again. There was one in Switzerland and in Morocco. Yeah, in Morocco. And Morocco was epic. Morocco was like the first wave event. Like that that place in Morocco is, is just a perfect surf foil point break 300 meter long right hander with soft oh. breaks when it's small and if a lot of surf foilers go there because the wind is very light and it's a bit stronger wind you can you can wing for there so we did the first wave event remember we even had live streaming the event it was our first event we live streamed oh awesome and 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 uh yeah and suddenly also the organizers they understood that this way is we had a kite event there and we had a wing event there we did both back to back and uh we had awesome conditions and it was the first um, time we really ran a pure pure surfing and yeah from there it just got uh, bigger and bigger in 22 we crowned the first world champions 21 in these two disciplines men and women and then 22 we had already last year we had already more events and we had i think last year we had six or seven and this year we are at 12 12 events on the world tour okay. so pretty close back to back too yeah pretty close back to back so i was talking to um our friend max robinson who's riding for slingshot yeah. and he was going from spot to spot to spot and checking in with us at home all the time and he had pretty jam-packed schedule actually yeah yeah i mean this year what we really feel is that the pandemic restrictions are kind of over so now traveling to nearly every country was easy we still had issues last year you know you couldn't get into every country depending if you're vaccinated or not or from where you're coming you couldn't run events so it was still a bit difficult but this is the this year is the first year where it seems to be very open again nearly everywhere and uh, yeah and the demand on you know, as I explained, there's a couple of new venues that we've been running where you maybe wouldn't run a kite or wingfall event. And then there's a couple of events that have been running windsurf or kiting in the past and now keen to do something new. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it turned out, obviously, we want to really try to make it as global as possible, not being too much Europe-focused with the tour. It will always be the main place, probably, because it's the biggest market for the sport and it's um you know there's just a lot of people keen to do events and compete in europe way more than in other continents but mm-hmm. we're really trying like being this year we had new zealand and cape verde and france um yeah now now we have basically all the europe except in august we go to rio de janeiro for the next wave event and then i just been in china two weeks ago for um for seeing a new location in china where we might do an event end of october Oh really? Um, so our first event in Asia, 
And it's a really cool location, actually. I've been there. There was a, there was a Chinese event at the same time with 130 people, like Hyde and Wingfoil. But um, yeah, it's a big it's a big uh, community there. It's growing in many good spots. So yeah, it's been uh, it's been it's been going steep right now. And mm-hmm. I think we you know this year we added two more disciplines with the pure wave discipline because we found out that the surf freestyle discipline we've been running of course we have more freestyle orientated events it kind of excluded those guys who are not really good freestylers but are good wave riders they said why should i go to an event you know i can't do 1080s 720s backflips i i can ride decent waves but all of your competitions are freestyle so that's why we wanted to come up with a discipline for these kind of people because there's a lot of people that ride waves in a foil but are not in oh, freestyle. Yeah. And and um, yeah, and we did the first event in Cape Verde, which was insane. I think um, this year there was a lot of people in before the event who were saying, "Yeah, you can't foil this way, Ponta Preta. That's too hardcore." Well, yeah, that's what I've, I have a neighbor that I windsurf with and he went and sailed there for two months and he comes home and he explains this to me and he's like, it's this jacked up thing. And it's like, then you got what, 10 feet and it's reef and it's rock and nobody other than pros goes there with two or three things. And so to hear that you're going to launch there, we're like, whoa, how's this going to go? Yeah. Well, we said Cape Verde, we didn't, you know, we had actually two spots. Now we had two spots that we could run that was Ponta Preta because Ponta Preta doesn't work every day. You know, you need to be lucky actually to have it working. And there's the other spot that works nearly every day, which is Kite Beach. It's more like an onshore spot. So, um, yeah. And, uh, a lot of the riders were even in the industry are saying, well, you gotta go have to go to Kite Beach because, you know, that's more suitable for foiling. But we said, well, I mean, we go to Cape Verde because there are good waves and if the waves are there we want to do it where the waves are good and there was a lot of a kind of few riders like Kauli and Tituan and you know Hugo Mara like the, the top wave guys who were like guys I didn't come here to ride on on Kite Beach I yeah. want to do this I want to do Ponta Preta Whoa. Um, so um and that was our attitude as well we said like well if it works we're going to do it and we had a decent forecast well decent it was not huge but it was good and said like well it's on um we were running kite event before it was a combined event with kite surfing and wing and we did kite we had the forecast for like five days the first two and a half days we had kiting and then we had another swell hitting and wind was there and we said well let's go ponta and a lot of the competitors haven't even been out at the break before their heat even once yeah but after the first day, everybody was so stoked that it was that easy and easy, but that easy and good to ride. I mean, they were all guys with high level, you know, there yeah, was nobody, sure. yeah. I have to say, in that comp that didn't have the level to ride there. They were all good foilers, men as women, you know, and um, yeah, and they were all riding on Ponta Preta and the action was insane. And now we had like a really good live streaming. I don't know, maybe you've been watching it, but it's it was you know i wasn't sure either and we were and the show was that good also on the it reminded me so much of the old windsurfing days in ponta preta you know all the drama that happened you know people get washed onto the rocks climbing out of the rocks still winning their heats and running down to the beach taking the next year or getting out back on the water it was a real fight with nature 
but not too hardcore at all. You know, I have to say there was way less equipment trash than I thought, than I expected. Oh, really? Yeah, that's what we were all because, curious about. Yeah, no, because you compared to windsurfing, for example, where once you, I'm okay, with kite surfing, it's even more safe. You just pull the kite and you get back out. The wind is offshore. On windsurfing, if you get washed, you lose your gear. It happens most of the time that the mast gets stuck into the rocks on the beach. No. And I have to say, I mean, there is, it's one of the best waves in the world for wind sports. If you like waves, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter if it's on a kite, a windsurf, for a foil. But there are other waves. I mean, Mauritius has the same quality of waves. But what Ponto Preta is so special about, it's so close to the beach. It's like a, it's the perfect arena. Like you would ride a wave and you hear the crowd screaming on the beach while you're riding. Oh, it's like a little and coliseum. Be, yeah, it's that close. I mean, you're basically yeah. on the rocks and the guys, the surface even, get barreled like 30 meters in front of you. Oh, wow. So uh, the spot is like, it couldn't get any better for a competition than Ponta Preto to run. And um, yeah, so we, we had this, and the windsurfing, if, if you get that close to the rocks, you can stuck the mast in the reef and break the mast and the equipment gets broken. But the wings actually they don't get sucked under the waves. They're usually, you know, all right, can break onto the wing and the wing bladder can explode if it's too much pressure. But it's very rare that this happens. Usually the wing gets out of the wave and the white water takes it up on the rocks and the water pulls out and the wing just stays there. And oh, there, were, okay. there are people on the, on, on, on the rocks who grab the wing and take it out. Obviously the foils get damaged a bit, but not more than in Mauritius. I mean, if I go out here, I, I'm, I mean, I hit my foil on the reef twice every session. It's normal if it's shallow and, and, um, yeah. So, so actually I think, I don't know, we had probably 30 people going on the rocks in the whole comp. And I would say I would have seen maybe five, six wings getting damaged, but no more. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. No, yeah. I was surprised huh. about that too. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when the people found out that it's actually not such an issue to ride there, everybody was going, you know, every day was, pushing harder and going more all in than before and we're taking more risk. And, um, yeah, it's been a pretty, I, I really loved the event. I think it was a big eye opener for the whole wing foiling world where a lot of people were, you know, criticizing before saying you can't foil in these kind of waves, but mm -hmm. obviously you can. And now I know already now everybody wants to go to these kind of waves. Um, not saying to get, you know, and we're not going to Chapu or like super heavy waves, but, you can go to decent reef breaks with powerful waves on a foil. Um, oh, and the foils are changing so fast now that they're being, then it's a lot easier for you to ride that kind of equipment. And yeah, yeah I think it's just going to keep pushing, which is going to be unreal. Hey, what about um, for those people who are just starting to follow the world tour, what do you think about uh, maybe going into describing the different kinds of events? Cause I'm on the site mm -hmm. right now. We got national events, we got qualifying, you got youth world cups race class world cups could we go a bit into maybe describing those yeah okay no problem we well we have well the wingfall world tour is basically the the roof above everything but in the wingfall world tour we have obviously the highest level which is the world cup events so the world cup events are the ones that are crowning the world champion so we are running four disciplines this year um meaning in each discipline, we're going to crown a male and a female world champion, which is the winner out of a series of events. So it's not only just one event. 
So we have, let's say in surf freestyle, we have six or seven events and free fly slalom as well. In waves, we have three events and in big area, we have only one. Um, to explain the disciplines a little bit, surf freestyle is, um, yeah, a combination of freestyle wave. It's focused on freestyle, but if there are rideable waves, we also count wave rides, but only with a maximum of 50%. So 50%, minimum 50% of the judging must be freestyle jumps. Okay. So if, for example, two waves would count, at least two jumps must count. It cannot be two waves, one jump. Whereas in the pure wave discipline, for example, is no jumps a lot. That's pure surfing. And even at the moment, we, I mean, we always, we have a very active um, riders committee. Max Robinson is one of the guys in the riders committee that we meet okay. every month to develop the sport, to discuss about how we should change formats. And, and at the moment in the wave discipline, it's pure surfing. So you can do airs on the wave while riding the wave, but you cannot use the wing. So you cannot do a backflip with the wing on the wave. So if you do an aerial maneuver, it must be with the wing depowered on the front handle. Actually, I just um, saw some Mizo there was just putting out some videos on YouTube when he was doing some backflips, just just surf foil, and yeah, so all that's going to come into play now. Exactly, you can do a backflip, but not like you do it in freestyle. So you need to release the wing, do the backflip without the wing, and you can ride out. That's for now. But let's see how the discipline is going to develop. But we wanted to have a very clear line between surf freestyle and wave and not that getting, makes sense because it's different riders too we don't have the same freestyle guys you know winning the waves unless they really know how they can properly ride waves and um, so we have the wave discipline the surf freestyle discipline we have the big air discipline which we is going to launch now for the first time and i'm very curious how the next event is going to turn out with that because oh, obviously yeah. we do it somewhere where it's windy, but Pozo, Gran Canera is probably one of the most windy places in the world with a minimum of 30, 35 knots every day in July or more. <laughs> and, I wonder if they're going to do yeah, like this. the big air for kiting and just grab like a five meter or a six meter and go out in 40. I'm curious yeah. to see what they're going to pick for sizes. Yeah, me too. Me too. I mean, I told all of them to bring small, small wings to Grand Canaria <laughs> for all the rest of the disciplines. But yeah. for definitely, the guys will go on these like fairly big wings for the wind, and you know, uh, they're good kickers, and will try, try to see how big they can go. And then we have the free fly slalom discipline, where I want to explain a little bit because there is often some misunderstanding. This is not a racing discipline in the classic sense. So it's not a discipline where it's about, you know, what you see in windsurfing or kite racing or sailboat racing. It's a start line and then you go upwind and downwind. And it's about the reason why we didn't want to push in that direction is we didn't want to make it too equipment dependent. You know, it shouldn't be just the guy who has the best foil being the guy who can win. We want a discipline that is, I would say, a little bit border cross like where more the skills okay. of the rider other than the equipment um, make a difference. So, so, so this discipline is built like a windsurf slalom in terms of the elimination system. So you have heats of 12 people and the top six go to the next round and the courses are fairly short. So there is not like in classic racing, you might have one, two miles upwinds, you know, you're super far away, but all the disciplines we want to create are very spectator orientated and are very 
media orientated in terms of live streaming. We want to build a really good show. That's the main idea of our product, let's say. Mm -hmm. um, so this, this discipline is really, I, I think it's super exciting, but it needs to have the right conditions, obviously. So now we renamed it into a free fly slalom to make it even more clear what it is about. And we have really short courses and the way most of our races are between two and three minutes, not longer. And so it's really, really short from start to finish. A couple of buoys, we don't do really long tacks. So most of the distances between the buoys is maybe 100 meters. So it's not so much about the top speed. It's really a lot about, we try to build very technical parts where you need to jive and tack very closely around buoys. So it's a lot about the technique, how you manage that. For example, yeah. some courses have triangles where you need to do a 360 around, but you cannot do a carving 360. You need to tack and jive around it. And everybody does it in a different way. And if the conditions allow, every course must have a section, a free fly section, where you're not allowed to use the wing. So you either need to ride the swell and read the bumps well on the downwind part, or you need to pump. And for example, in New Zealand, we had really nice uh, races with the with the downwind where it was open ocean. So there was a, a solid ground swell, a solid wind swell. Oh. And people were, we had, I think 70% of the course was not with the wing, without wing. So right at the start line, you had to release the wing, read the ocean about 500 meters downwind on the bumps until the next, we do one jive, do another jive, and then another free fly section into the finish. And you could really ah. see that those guys like from Hawaii who do a lot of downwind, they know oh, how yeah. to read the ocean well and not, you know, they have those guys who pump the whole 500 meters and they come out on the beach they're exhausted and then you have the other guys who are just like picking the right bumps and you know go from left oh, to that's right an art. and yeah and exactly that's, an art. that's what we and that's what we want to want to focus obviously it's quite technical but um that's what we want to push for you know and and we don't want to see guys riding on a 500 square meter a square centimeter kite race foil to win and be fast and fully powered on the wing we want to see people on a high efficient high aspect that's fast too but that has all the glide that you can ride without the wing and that's the foils that you would also buy in a shop you know that's what people want to look for um rather than you know having a five thousand euro race foil that nobody really needs as a normal end consumer just for a few people in the world cup so that's a little bit the idea um, that we have. I like that concept. Discipline. Yeah, I like that concept because yeah. you're you, if you got fur, you got your big air, which everybody loves to watch because they're curious to see what's going to happen. You got your surf freestyle stuff, but then you're connecting that fun aspect that a lot of people can practice is anywhere. Like I yeah. almost feel like the racing component of it is something that has been done, but now you can get kids and everybody practicing little stuff on their beach front. Like so, it's it's smart. I, I like it. Yeah, exactly. This is, and that's why now it clears up a little bit more. In the past, everybody thought, ah, it's a pure racing. And some people showed up at the event and then they had to do these courses and they were like, ah, but we wanted to race. And I said, no, we don't race. We do free fly slalom. Are we really, our idea is showing, like putting the downwind aspect of foiling into a competition format. And, and, um, that's combining smart. it with slalom obviously we had we have events like in Leukart where it was flat water and you don't have any wind swell and then these free fly legs are shorter and you need to pump all of it you need to use bigger foils and it's shorter but when the open ocean allows for example Grand Canaria it's going to be downwind with 35 knots 
and big wind jobs is going to be perfect. You can easily, without being a pro, ride a kilometer on these bumps without a wing. That's what's coming next because we talked to Andrew there of KT and the new boards and stuff that's coming out for downwinding. It's gonna it's gonna be unreal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, so this is a pretty exciting concept. And this year we were, as I said, even more going and more extreme in that direction. And actually, the athletes really like it. They they like this format on the right conditions. Beautiful. So this is these are the four disciplines in the World Cup. And then we have also continental events. So there are continental championships. We just had a month ago the Europeans in France, which is just one event where it's about the continental titles also in well, surf, freestyle, and free fly slalom in these two disciplines. Um, then we will probably do a South American one. The aim is to have one in every continent, but so far we don't have organizers in every continent, but we're going to probably do an African one in Morocco and we're going to do in Brazil a South African one, a South American one. And hopefully next year, maybe um, um, some other ones uh, to Asian and North American. And then we have the Youth uh, World Cup, where mm-hmm. last year we've been running actually two events. But this year we went back to one because we saw that in the end, there is not that many kids or parents, let's say, that can afford or have the time to go to a series of events around the world to crown a Youth World Champion. You know, they are not pros yet. Um, so we went back to do just one event, but one proper event. And so everybody who wants to compete can come to this one event and the winner going to be the youth world champion where there's different age categories starting under 19, under 16, under 14. By the way, in the world cup, the age level is 14. So you cannot compete in the world cup if you're younger than 14. Okay. Uh, so it gives kids some time and, and this one, so the youth world cup is coming up. It's June 29th to July 2nd. Yeah, also in the Canaries. So there will be a bunch of those. Hopefully you do the other events in the Canaries too. Um, But we do one event um, for youth. And then we have also the qualifying series. Because what happened um, was that already last year, we started to get so many registrations at events, at World Cup events, that we hardly have the time. You know, in France, we, we, we would have 100 people registering for the World Cup. And um, it just takes too much time. Like it, it, you, you, you get to the point where you can hardly finish an event. If you do a freestyle competition of 50 people, it takes three to four days to run that. And, um, Minimum, so right? Now if we, the conditions are good. If the conditions are – well, you can do it, let's say, in, in two days if it's long days of 10 hours. But, you know, a lot of spots you might have window in the afternoon and – takes way too long. So this year we started to limit the World Cup um, to last year we had 48 in freestyle and 80 in the free fly slalom. And this year we went down to slalom 48 and in in freestyle now we are going in the Canaries, we're only going to have 28. Um, so, but because of that, obviously there must be a proper way to qualify to get in because now we have mm-hmm. a lot of people want to compete that can't get a spot. So we started last year of running qualifying events. These are smaller events where you can collect points to get, uh, in, get a ranking to qualify for the World Cup as well as the Continental Championships. So at the Continental Championships, you collect points to get into the World Cup. And uh, yeah, these help you to get in. Um, we'll see how that turns out this year and how we're going to move on with that structure. But that's the way it is right now. 
um, the different levels you 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 have of events. Um, I know it's sometimes a bit confusing, but it's not that it's not that difficult. Basically, you have World Cups, Continentals are separate one events, and then you have a qualifying structure on it. We also um, each event, so the top sixteen of the of the world ranking are always pre qualified for the event for the next event. So if you're in the top sixteen of the seeding list, you have a spot guaranteed in the next event. And then you have this qualifying series uh, where you can collect points to get in. And then you can also, because there are people that would live in New Zealand that wouldn't, you know, qualifying events are not everywhere, that couldn't go to qualifiers, you can still submit um, video applications. So when you want to enter the World Cup as a new person, you can submit videos for freestyle and for waves and for big air. And then the top four, or no, the top five actually, of each of, of the events that send the video, the five best videos that are not pre-qualified, they get spot into the event as well. And then you got some prize money in every single category. Um, yeah. And then that can go towards some of those top riders. Okay, so then we got all those. And then, so coming up there. Yeah, the youth event is the next one, which is uh, in the Canaries end of the month. And then we go to Canary Islands, Grand Canaria which is going to run three disciplines. So that's going to be the only event with three disciplines this year. Surf, freestyle, free fly, slalom, and big air. And then right after we go to Fuerteventura, just the next island. So most of the people are going to do both of these events for surf, freestyle, and free fly, slalom as well. And then four days later, we go across the pond to Brazil, Rio de Janeiro for the next wave event. Oh, yeah. For the pure wave. Um, oh, that'll be exciting. Yeah. And that play is going to be exciting because this event is going to run in Sacarema, which is the same spot where the WSL runs their surfing event. Oh, no way. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to be sweet. We're going to do that. It's going to be a pure wave event. And then um, after that, we have beginning of uh, September, Denmark. We go north, northern Europe for the first time because we haven't had any event up there yet. Uh, we've surfed freestyle and free fly slalom again. So that's uh, going to be more cold weather event, but it can have really nice waves and conditions up there. But it's not, you know, all the, like for the pure wave event, we're really going to choose only spots that have quite good guarantee of running pure waves. Everything that might be like a semi half, half thing, we, we run on the surf freestyle. And then okay. right after that, we go to, right after end of September to Morocco for the final for wave, pure event wave. Of the season pure wave and that's why we're going to crown the wave world champion in morocco um and that's going to be quite exciting too i think that's as i explained before um i think it's an amazing spot for foiling I, one of the best i've seen um in terms of you know it's not like ponta preta it's not as powerful it's a little bit more mellow but really playful to ride on a foil and oh long. nice um, yeah, no, that's going to be unreal. And uh, and also like really nice to watch actually because it's super close to the beach and runs. It's a very long wave. It's a right, really long right hand point, 300, 400 meters on good days. And wind is often a bit light, but that's fine on the foil. And uh, yeah. And what then, does light mean for people at home? Um, Yeah, light, I would say 12 knots. 10, 12 knots, 
12 knots. No, I mean, the guys, I know most, most of them don't go on too big gear, but on five meter wings and I mean, in the waves, a lot of them ride really small boards. That's more the issue. So some of them mm -hmm. have to pick up bigger boards to be able to start uh, in the lulls. But um, yeah, I'd say 12 knots, around 12 knots, we can run a foil uh, event on the waves. In freestyle, it's nice to have a bit more to be able to do proper jumps. Oh yeah, but there'll be a bit waves, more pop and stuff. Yeah, we had, we were also running a couple, you know, of sessions where we had the ski and brought people back on the ski, uh, back on the foil by a ski assistance, you know, if they can start. But we decided with the riders that we're not going to allow it for competition at the moment because it's a, you know, it's an outside factor that can influence if one rider, you know, there's one ski and maybe he's going to help only one rider and that guy going to get on the foil earlier than the other one. That's not, would be, wouldn't be fair. But um, if the competitors agree on it and they want to use a ski, we can obviously do that because once you fly, you fly, even in lighter winds and you can ride waves. Unless you started them further back or something and they had to pump on because, I don't know. Yeah, there could be a lot of technicalities involved with that. Yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's a bit of an, you know, basically it's not a problem, but imagine you two guys ride a wave and they both fall at the end of the wave. The jet ski is only going to pick up one. And if it's not you, True. you're going to be complaining <laughs> yes <You know? laughs> yeah that's, yeah that's fair enough and then the other guy gets the other wave and then or whatever so yeah completely yeah, yeah i understand that that could get a little little precarious um, um so then after that one there's tarifa spain october um yeah there's tarifa it's going to be pure freestyle and then brazil with the final event of the year being um surf freestyle and free fly and then we have two events that are not on the calendar that I can tell you are possible to happen. That is in Lanzarote um, in October as well, before Tarifa. That event was on the tour last year and was supposed to happen actually before Gran Canaria, but for political reasons, because there was elections in Spain last week, they couldn't secure the budget. And now it looks like they're going to have it, but it's too short to, to, to get it now to announce it for July. Um, so they want to run it in October maybe but it's not confirmed yet. And then the one in China that I've been just with oh, yeah. two weeks ago. Um, that was super excited. The writers internally are informed about it, ready. It could happen. It could be in the last, if it happens, it will be in the last week of October before we go to Brazil. I think that'd be a pretty exciting thing in bringing that stuff over there. Cause there, there's a bunch of Facebook groups and I started following a whole bunch of them and there's, there's micro communities of, of surfing and wing filing everywhere. It'd be awesome to get over there. No, totally. I was, uh, you know, I was well, my second time in China. I've been there once before, but obviously for different reasons. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, if you talk about China, so what are you doing there? Wing falling? What in China? What, what? But we just, all of us, we, we, you know, we are, we don't see what's going on there, but there's actually quite a lively community of water sports enthusiasts and people that have money to do these things in China. So, I was surprised I was at this event two weeks ago in China and I mean, I saw only brand new gear lying around there. You know? um, uh, so there was uh, quite a lot of people um, doing, doing uh, wing foiling and there is plenty of spots along the coast in China, you know, um, from the north, you know, where you get, well, even north closer to Beijing, but then you have the strait between Taiwan and um, China, which has the strongest wind 
in, uh, and then even down to Hong Kong. We had a qualifying event in Hong Kong last year in December. Um, but uh, yeah, we, we, we are planning to run the event in Hainan, which is an island in the South China Sea, like an hour from Hong Kong. And how do you line up um, like dates and forecasts and whatnot? Like obviously you'll know that certain conditions, certain spots are better at certain times, but how does that kind of aspect of, of tour operating work that takes a little finessing, I'm assuming? Yeah, so to well, that's a good question, actually. And I think that's an important question for people to understand. How does a wing for a World Cup actually come together? Yeah. Um, so it's not that we are just choosing where we want to go. <laughs> that would be super easy. <laughs> <laughs> we always depend on the local organizer. So um, the way uh, wing for events work is that there is a local organizer and certain players of the world says, uh, I want to do a wing for world cup. And then he approaches us, this guys, I want to bring the world tour to my place. And the local organizer, because for us, it's impossible to, to know any, everywhere in the world, how logistics work uh, on the legal side and get the permits and do all those things. You always depend on the local organizer. And this is also the person who gets the financing. So the, the, the World Cup is financed by local organizers. So that organizer would say, okay, I want to get an event in Spain. I want to bring the tour. So he approaches us. We tell him, okay, we're going to come with all our staff, with the know-how to run the competition, our media crew. We generate all the, the media production, the distribution. We have certain media numbers we can show you. Um, our distribution, we're working now very hard with media distributors. Actually, we have a couple of co contracts with uh, TV takers that show our events on TV stations. Um, oh, nice. So there is, we try to push now wing falling besides live streaming and, you know, the special interest media also into the mainstream media to really grow the sport. This is one of our missions as well. And um, so we have all those figures from past events say, well, this is the media values you're going to get out of your events. You know, that many TV stations around the world going to show it, newspapers, online, social media, etc. cetera. Um, and then we, we, these organizers try to raise the sponsorship money. Most of the events, the money comes um, from, I would say, the destination itself because that's where they have most promotion out of it. So if the mm -hmm. event is in Grand Canaria, most of the budget would be from Canary Islands Tourism saying, we want to promote our place as a wingfall sports world tour place being suitable because we know many people come for this sport to our country. But it mm -hmm. can be also private sponsors, and it is usually private sponsors as well. In some countries, it's only private sponsors and no pub, um, public money. So that depends. But the person organizing this, the, the, the budget behind it is the local organizer. So they're going to bring up the budget to pay us to come. All the athletes going to come on their own cost, put up the prize money and mm -hmm. all the infrastructure for the event. Because in some events, you know, we, if we are in, in Morocco in the middle of the desert, basically, I mean, it's more hard to set up an event. You need to put everything in tents than it might be. In, in a place where you have ready water sports center or even a hotel right on the spot and you can use the infrastructure True. that's already given. So um, that's why the costs of each event are actually not comparable. You know, some can be way more expensive than others. Um, and uh, yeah, so obviously we also, you know, 
through our networks and talking to organizers and explain, well, you could do something and offering it. But basically, there are local organizers from different spots that oh, I want to run this event in Gran Canaria or I want to run this event in this spot in Brazil. And then we evaluate if, well, they know what's the best time to do it. So they say, okay, mm -hmm. um, our best time is between June and August, June, July, August. Do you have a slot free where we can do it? Then we see if it works out that we can find a date that works for us in our calendar and that works for the organizer. Some of the events are really bound to holidays, so they're not that flexible in the dates. I say, well, we need to do it around that public holiday. It needs to be around, I don't know, the 1st of June, for example. Then it needs to be around the 1st of June. And if we have another event at that time and we cannot move it, then only one of them can happen. We're not going to do events at the same time. So no. they need to be, no, no yeah. that doesn't make sense. Um, yeah, so that's how it's chosen. And then obviously, depending on the spot, we choose the discipline. Now also talking with the organizer, most of, if it's a new place like China, for example, I try to go there, have a visit, check out the conditions, check out the infrastructure and know if it's actually worth running an event there. Yeah, but, that's a good uh, point. Most of the places, um, we, we, I know already from before, or you know a lot about it because they already known in water sports world as kiting and windsurfing. And you can rely on some, hey, it can always happen that you get to an event and you have no wind. That's part of the game. Yeah, but it hasn't, is, yeah. it hasn't happened so far on foiling. You can go in such light conditions. We, there, we, there was no event yet where we didn't get a result. Everywhere we had an event, we got a result so far. But it will happen at one point. It's normal. I think it's just... Uh, oh, yeah. You'll get a, a no-win day for sure. But at least this, like you are dropping those margins a lot lower, right? Like the wind you can get out in to do be successful is, is maybe yeah. a little bit lighter. It's really difficult, I think, actually, to go to a place where you wouldn't run anything. But as the weather is the weather, and sometimes you can't predict it. Um, no. But, um, yeah, we, we, we have a pretty professional team also knowing, you know, how to use the best conditions. Sometimes if there is no other chance, we, we, we start at six in the morning, if that's the only time where it's windy. You know, we had, we have riders meetings sometimes in the dark in the morning and start at first, uh, at sunrise, if it's necessary, it's not something we like to do, but if it's the only way to catch wind, we do it. So no, fair enough. Um, and then all the all the athletes then are posting regularly, kind of showcasing, because I know there's a bit of they have to follow maybe some media requirements or media specs when they're on tour and competing and stuff. I just read quickly through the uh, the event bylaws there. We're just wearing jerseys and that kind of thing to help out. And But they are yeah, posting significantly through their sponsors online. Yeah, this is part of the game. So they, 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 they when, or when athletes um, sign up to an event, there is a race notice that's probably one you have seen on the events you can see those those notices these are not all there's a rule book as well and there are certain mm -hmm. things that they need to do when they sign up to an event it's important that they um for example they get on the water they need to wear the competition vest because for the local they have the sponsor logos of the local organizer on and we cannot use any photos or videos of them without wearing that that's a, a part of the contract with the organizer for them it's really important same thing if the organizer wants them to wear that jersey on the podium they have to wear it because 
it says all the logos of the sponsors on it. And mm -hmm. uh, when it's any social, we really like we have a really good working media crew, so that works very close with our writers. We we make it very easy and accessible for them to get content. So we have a photographer that's uploading pictures multiple times a day on a platform that the writers have access to. They can get the newest photos right away. And our media manager is putting it in the groups of the event saying, if you post content, you need to use these hashtags for that organizer. Um, so for them, it's pretty much, oh. okay, take the photo, take the list of hashtags, put it together, send it out. So and send it out. <laughs> All right. That's a pretty clean ship you're running. That's awesome. Yeah. It, I think I like, it, it's nice for a lot of people who are, who are like uh, weekend warriors for example to get an idea of all the effort and, and all the time that gets put into some of these events because we don't always know right so yeah. um and we're not as connected to it there but it's nice to know that we can live stream we can follow you can catch it with your favorite athlete and and you're also so if there are organizers out there for example there are still possibilities of adding others other spots right Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think this year we have a couple of new additions. We have some, obviously, that we're going to have regular on tour. But we're always trying to expand a little bit and maybe change, you know. Um, in the end, there is a lot of organizers that want to run something, and in the end, it, we, we, we don't get to the point that we run it. So I would say for getting a tour together like we have at the moment with 10, 12 events, I'm probably negotiating 20 to 30 organizers to sign this amount of events so there is a decent amount of organizers i'm talking to that never end up in doing an event so because they cannot raise the budget you know they're saying i want to do something but i need to then you know how much do i need and mm -hmm. um, then they go find sponsors they don't have enough money or they don't receive permits to do it in the place they want to do it um, because that's also a point you know it's not easy um to do it anywhere uh, this is in some countries it's very regulated when you want to do water sport events and uh, where you can do it in terms of safety or it's too close to a harbor or um mm -hmm. it's maybe you know you have places where uh foiling might be forbidden for certain months in the year or uh, or or at all i mean we've been doing not for the for the for the foil tour but we've been doing for example an event last year for the kai tour in saudi arabia and mm -hmm. it's awesome the wind but saudi is basically that the red sea coast is a military zone it's not allowed to go on the water so we had to wait a year to get permits to be allowed to put athletes on the water actually at that coastline and nobody oh, wow. was able to go there before and train you could only be there for the seven days of the event that was the only time it was ever allowed to go in the water officially um so that depends on the country you know um it's not it's not uh it's not that easy to say well i do a world cup and it's gonna run but i think also a lot of people think it's way harder than it is because that's my impression when i talk to organizers that maybe haven't done an event before and you talk to them oh yeah you have a school or a hotel or a business or whatever at that place think about it do you want to promote? Uh, do you want to promote that place for wing falling for a World Cup event? And then, when mm. they start to think about it, they realize actually it's not that hard to do it. There's a few spots that I'm thinking that, like just on the west coast of Canada in the U.S., that would be pretty awesome. Canada would be great. Yeah, we've been talking actually to an organizer in Toronto. Um, 
but we haven't got there yet to get it going. We've been, that was about two years ago. Um, it was a city of Toronto. Oh, really? Okay, okay. Because there yeah. is Cherry Beach. There's a, like on Lake Hunt, well, they're right on the lake, but there, there are some different spots along there. That would be something, but it's hit and miss. Sometimes we get good wind in the fall, starting September till like November, December, but then she gets chilly. Yeah, I have to say that the, we often get asked, hey, why you guys don't do an event in the US or in Maui or in Canada? And we've been working pretty hard actually to get something going. And I think we're going to go there soon. been talking to a couple of people, but it seems like compared to Europe, the US, let's say, event market works very differently. You know, it's not like in, in the US, it seems to be very hard to raise um, public sponsorship for these kind of events. Um, so you need to, to finance an event mainly through private sponsors. And uh, the I have the feeling that in the US, especially, I don't know, Canada, but I guess it's similar, that these kind of sports don't have the same professional image than other sports. So people would more see it as a recreational recreational activity, but not really a professional sport. And it's not uh, like Europe over here. It's definitely not. Like we got small communities and it's our lives. Like it's it's all we breathe and dream and want to yeah. do. But it, it there are very hidden small, like even from Ottawa, a small town where I grew up, there's probably like three or four hundred people in a town. That's well, it's a city. It's pretty big. Like it's a million with all the surrounding areas, but like there's only, there aren't that many. Mm. So it's never, it wouldn't be recognized definitely, but um, it would be cool though to see it. But Europe is a lot more, is a lot bigger for all that. Yeah. And Europe, I mean, it went pretty fast. Also, most of, of the countries have now wing foiling covered under their sailing federations. And there are countries like France that's on the forefront of it, they now really have a proper wing for a national team that's supported by the National Sailing Federation. So they have their own coaches. They have budget for the team to travel to events. Um, the coaches travel to the events as well and support the team. Um, you know, they, they are representing France and they get um, support. Um, and it's turning this way in more and more countries, hopefully in the future. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, France has always been very enthusiastic about water sports and there's so many people do it and so much coastline. And I've been especially about foiling. I think a lot of our events have probably 30% French participants because <laughs> they're all really good. And, <laughs> and there are so many. Um, I mean, they're so stoked too. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of stoke there. Yeah. They, they they just love these kind of sports um and being in windsurfing too uh, windsurfing surfing kiting sailing um they love these things and if you have an event you have actually a lot of people watching too um so yeah in europe i think there's a, there's a little bit of hat you know and then also the the uh, as i said a lot of the the organizers or countries they see bringing a world cup event as a really effective tool of promoting a tourism destination showing that this is one of the best spots in the world where the best guys in the world going to come so they are spending money on that and 
And that's also a big difference to other markets. Although I have to say South America too. Huh? South America, Brazil um, is a strong market now in water sports. And we have many, many Europeans that go to Brazil for practicing wind, kite, wing, whatever. Wing falling is growing there fast too. In 2020, when I told you that we had the first event, there was basically a handful of Brazilian people that I saw doing that in Brazil. The year after, 21, it was already oh, it a lot more. And last year, oh, yeah. I saw really already a lot of tourists going to Brazil for wing falling. I mean, it's an amazing place. It's windy every day. You do downloads along the coast as long as you want. Um, oh, yeah, that'd it's be warm, Kyberinia, yeah. you know, it's a good vibe. And everybody loves Brazil. Everybody loves to go there. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Do you think uh, wing falling is going to get as big as supping? That's one qu industry question we asked a couple other brands. And they're like, if it can, if it can jump that chasm, um, or even windsurfing, right? Because windsurfing got so huge that everybody had one. Supping, pretty much everybody has one. Kiting didn't quite, but still. But we were curious about winging if it was going to jump that, that thing or not. Well... I don't think, I mean, I, I hope so, but I think to get to, to the point where supping is, it's going to be hard just because you need way more equipment. You, I mean, supping, you don't need anything on the board. You can go on the river, you take your paddle and you go on a lake, on the river, within wind, without wind, you do it wherever you want. Well, it's like you a bicycle almost. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So on wing foiling, we still look at wind and deep enough water. And then obviously it's not something that you jump on and do right away, like on a sub. Um, so I think it will be hard to match that. Uh, but I think that wing foiling can now with the wind water sports, talking windsurfing, kiting. I mean, windsurfing at the point where it was really popular had the advantage that there was not a lot of alternatives. So if you wanted to ride a board on the water and not surf, or wakeboard behind the boat, you would windsurf. There was nothing else really on the plate. Now it's way different. I mean, windsurfing, kitesurfing, wing foiling, um, SUP foiling, downwinding, whatever, a lot of stuff to do on the water. So that's why already I think there's not that much potential to get that many people. But I still think that by the growth I see now, I think between those wind water sports, I think it can get the biggest one, yeah between windsurfing, kitesurfing, and winging. I think so too. Even my brother, who's a diehard kiter, and uh, he wouldn't dare touch. We just talked about it the other day, and he was like, all right, I might consider trying it this summer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, see I didn't that, think that day would come. <laughs> I, see that, I see that a lot too here, you know, like those guys who are like real hardcore wind or kite surfers never would touch anything else. Um, ah, they're swinging and I like it until the day they try. And they try it yeah. once and they figure out how much fun it is and then then they understand. Um, then it's over. Yeah. It's been the same between windsurfing and kitesurfing. Remember the 2000s, you know, those guys, there were a lot of hardcore windsurfers who were like, ah, why? I would never touch a kite. I always windsurf. But in the end, they ended up doing it. And oh yeah I, they do secretly quietly nobody sees them and uh <laughs> yeah they don't talk about it but yeah <laughs> what i want to explain people the wingfold world tour is is our idea behind the tour is really not to only serve 
being the Formula One of the sport and being only accessible to this the pinnacle of athletes that want to go there. Our mission is really, and that's why we have these qualifying events and youth events, we want to grow the sport and we want to be everybody who want to be part of it can be part of it. And we're also mm -hmm. working on some concepts for the future for amateur events that we want to, you know, step up that are really closer than also for the industry. Very interesting because I think that's, that's a really important part of the sport. And I, and I think I'm smiling every time I see, you know, in the end, what I love about these sports is, you know, you can come as a, as a new, as a new fresh person getting to an event for the first time you shouldn't be scared to just show up if you are able to come you know chat to the pros or to the team or uh, we are all one community and it doesn't matter what level of writing you have i think we all share the same stoke and um, it's just great to have the right people involved that have this passion to drive that sport and that's why it's growing so fast as it does and I, mm -hmm. yeah, and that's what I've recognized with a lot of people involved in wing foiling. It doesn't matter if they run podcasts like you or have a magazine or run a brand or organize events yeah. or it's just, you know, for me, as I said, I did water sports for so many years. I winter for 25 years. And when I started wing when kite surf for 20 years, probably. And then I started wing falling and it was like, I felt like a small kid again. I was so amped on getting on the <laughs> oh, water, yeah. on getting on the water again. And, 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 you know, and I was really starting it only because I thought I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do it when there is light wind and I want to windsurf. And the reality is now 90% of the days I'm on the water, I wing fall. And I still windsurf and kite when the conditions are right for it and it's pumping waves. But, um, I really like most of the days um, get on a foil and uh, it was really for me. Yeah. As I said, I felt like a small kid again and I can see the same in your eyes and in a lot of other people I meet with wing falling around the world. It's exactly the same situation and I'm super happy about that. Oh yeah. Um, I, I think that's, that's what's going to draw more and more people in, especially post pandemic, like people need to incorporate fun fun and, and and this can be something that could bring a lot of joy and a lot of fun to your life you can put it in the back of your suv it's not something that you need 17 roof racks and four trailers it's just like you can have a board and stuff and like you and your whole family can get going so I, I, that's what i think i see the excitement of connecting people who are working in all these different places and if you have a little bit of water you can get out there and have some fun exactly yeah and and I had so often the question from people that windsurf or kite just say, ah, no, but if I start windfalling, I buy another thing, you know, and I, I spend money again on equipment and, and, and do I need to do this? But I told them, guys, you know, you buy a wing, you're going to love it going windfalling. Your wife might maybe not be falling, but she's still going to stand on the SUP and take a wing and cruise around. And your kids are going to oh, yeah. take the wing and jump off a hill and, hill and try to jump with it or put it on the skateboard and ride on the parking lot. And, uh, you know, it's, it's such a versatile tool and a wing is not even talking about the foil. The foil is complex, no question, but it's not that complex like people think, but a wing, it's the most easy to handle wind sport tool you can imagine. It has two handles or some wings have more, obviously 
you take it in both your hands, hold it into the wind, and it just pulls you. Yeah, there's a there's a big movement here, even in Ottawa, some buddies, because the wind and water sometimes it just doesn't line, but it lines over land. So they're going into different parking lots, grabbing yeah. skateboards, longboards, and they have like a half an hour session on land. And that didn't exist before. So they're yeah. super stoked to be able to do that. And then they go home and they do whatever else. But there's that aspect of things as well. Landboarding with yeah. the wing is, is something that was that's surprising and it's super fun. This is something what a lot of people, I think, forget. And that was, for example, when we started the Global Wing Sport Association, on purpose, we didn't want to name it the Foiling Association because we didn't want to leave out the other aspects that you can do with a wing being on the skateboard, being on the snowboard. Ah, okay. Um, we haven't done any events in that time because we don't have the time, but I wouldn't say no, that maybe in the future we would also organize a, a wing skate event at one point at the right place. You know, why not? Um, that could be cool. Or, or, or as I said, a lot of people just bought wings and they stand on an SUP and cruise around because they want to pedal um, without a foil. So it's, it's not, only the foil that is working with the wing you know you can you can make it work with a lot of things and when i see mm -hmm. well i wish i would have had a wing when i was 12 or 13 years old <laughs> no I kidding would, i would have <laughs> i would have done so much bullshit of that thing <laughs> jumping off roofs i see that i mean i saw a video yesterday of a guy jumping off the roof from a house into his pool on the wing two stories high yeah whoa <laughs> 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 yeah <laughs> oh man i, don't, yeah, I, I have don't no idea where it's people gonna go not doing that don't get me wrong i don't know that no, no. you should try this at home <laughs> but um you know it's just endless endless no. opportunities and we've been uh, yeah i think such a hand wing it's it's a versatile thing that you could use for so many activities and um oh yeah 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 have you had the chance to ride some of the new hard handle wings oh yeah yeah of course i think it's been yeah yeah i've been riding hard handles for the last two years already oh beautiful okay, yeah, cool. yeah yeah no no um the first time i tried it i was like all right this this is a game changer yeah, this is what you need you know that no no i've been i've been i've been riding uh only hard handles actually um since they, okay since, yeah they're amazing since they came out so i think well the first one was the duoton unit obviously uh, I think was on the on the hard handles, but pretty quick. A lot of other brands jumped in, and I think now most of most of the brands uh, uh, come out with it. And um, no, it, it's. I mean, I know a lot of people like the boom with they come from windsurfing, and I think it has a lot of advantages riding a boom, especially if you're learning because you can ride it blind, one-handed, grab wherever you want. But it's a little heavier. Um, and for some people, they might mm -hmm. maybe not know where they need to grab. So on the handles, it's pretty easy where you're going to hold the wing. Um, Definitely. And the weight is is light. Um, yeah. No, I'm 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 happy with the way it's going now. I think what we you know as I said, I see always prototypes around here. Mauritius trying brands trying prototypes also on the events, and um, I think it will go more and more in the direction of really also building wings that have more ability in airtime like to work more like a wind glider let's say where it being really effective in terms of how long they can lift 
you for how long they can lift you. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we still, that was one of the, you know, we have this GWA, the Global Wing uh, Sports Association, which is not the World Tour. That's the Association of Industry Brands. Maybe that's important to explain. So all the big brands, and now every one, two months, we have a new brand coming in, actually, and being a member of the association. They came together to to structure the sport and also um, to discuss about safety standards, like it is also on kitesurfing. So what do the wings need to have windows? Do they not have to have windows? Um, what are safety leashes need to do? And, and a lot of other product um, details, let's say. And the... Yeah, it's been, I, I think, agreed from everybody at the moment that all the wings that are right now on the market, for example, need to be inflatable because they should still be a floating device for emergency. But I know there are, mm-hmm. and back in the 90s, uh, the wings we had at that time that I talked about in the beginning of our chat, they were not inflatable. So they were a stiff construction with uh, carbon booms more or less but they couldn't they couldn't float like they could float for a short time but uh they were a completely stiff construction and i know a couple of brands are experimenting with that already combined with inflatable because it gives more rigidity to the wing but um it's um yeah Maybe still a secret. I should say. Like a say. little pterodactyl. Almost. <laughs> maybe we. Yeah, have, maybe, I can just. Maybe we have to cut that out because maybe they don't want to want me to tell that. <laughs> I could definitely see. Like for me, I just see it in my head. Like I see a little pterodactyl wing kind of thing with that backbone and and canopy hanging off that, and I could see that being amazing for racing or for yeah for different things as well. Yeah, I could see that coming. I bet you they've already all played with it. I'm assuming they all have. No, I'm, I'm, I'm sure they have. And as I said, this is nothing new. This existed 20 years ago, 25 years ago already. But um, yeah, as I said, for the moment, by our rules, for example, for competitions, the wings that have to be used need to be inflatable construction. They cannot be completely hard construction. Okay, fair enough. And now they're playing with bladders. Obviously, most of the brands now have like dual bladder construction. So if one happens to blow then it's not as a big deal because you got two valves going. That's been a change that we've seen that's pretty cool. Um, also, even with the KT wings that I ride, like you can swap from hard handle to semi-rigid handle yeah. to whatever, cool. uh, which is kind of cool as well because if you're just wanting to go for a cruise or if you want, like you don't necessarily need the hard handles all the time or somebody brand new because I give lessons out on on the island and and I find that even a soft handle is not a terrible thing for learning on. Um, it, it's just a little bit more gentle on hands and wrists and forearms. And if you fall, that kind of thing. So I'm not opposed, but then as soon as you get out, like I rode on the St. Lawrence the other day, it was like 25 and decent little swell. And it had three meter wing and it was just, Oh, it was unreal with hard handles. So, um, I can see all those different various applications, uh, coming to come together. Yeah, I think in the end, um, like with other sports too, you everybody has a bit different preferences and different conditions where he's riding, and it's not, I think, one product that's going to be perfect for everything. So there will no. be uh, the need for different different products. I'm, I'm, I mean, I know a lot of the brands now are riding, having more than one wing model in the range. In the beginning, was just one. Um, this is going to evolve, and I think the same for the boards. At the moment, most 
most brands have only one board line, but I think also this is going to change. That you're going to have something more for waves and something more for maybe freestyle and waves. You want something thinner that's more direct on your foil. On the on, on freestyle, you want something with a lot of volume and very short to have uh, easy for rotations, and then you want something for a more easy takeoff. But um, I think this will all come in the future. And what I really like actually is that now there's still a lot of room for smaller custom brands that get their market share, especially in the board side. Um, I see so many people who write custom boards and I think that's awesome because um, it really, you know, gives a bit of uh, part of the business to the local shapers, no? That, um, yeah, that's true, actually. That, that can yeah, I... that can make something out of it, you know? And, and I think the boards get more and more important uh, in the beginning, I think everybody thought you can write whatever you want on the foil on top of it because it does never touches the water. But in the end, you realize that some boards take off more easy than other ones. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I think that's that's great. I mean, we have right now, as I said, we have a lot of the statistics from the industry, and I think we are around 100 brands at the moment that are in the market. A hundred brands oh, that's exciting. that are not all of them producing everything, but a hundred brands that either do foils or boards or wings or, or of it. So counting all the small ones too. And that's a lot. Okay. Three, four years into the sport. Yeah. So, so the GWA um, is an industry association and uh, brands can join it and, you know, be part of it. Um, when the brand wants to join, they can, apply to be a member then all the existing members have to approve it together if they want to have this new member in but it can also be it can also be members that are not a brand producing equipment now it could okay. be um, an organizer it could be another association um, we in the future also want to um, offer memberships um, in a different way obviously to end consumers mm -hmm. so um, making like a you know GWA club kind of for anybody who wants to be in it um, having certain having certain we're working on a new program in that direction uh, that's not implemented yet um, but yeah just to, to to organize the community a bit better and bring everybody as I said it's not our approach is really not to try to kick out everybody else mm -hmm. and say we're the only ones who can do stuff no we want to actually include everybody who you know wants wants to aim at the same goals and we we really work closely with all the national federations um, because every in every country it's organized a bit different as i told you most of the countries run wing foiling under their sailing federation but in some uh, countries it's a completely independent independent federation or even another federation may be the surfing federation that covers wing foiling and not the sailing mm -hmm. so this is not always the same thing um, but there's a lot to do in that direction and I you know I think um, as I explained before I think that uh, the some countries like France are very well organized in that in that way already and there are a lot of other countries following um, in the same way uh, also we want to kind of set certain standards on schooling 
so right now there is, you know, when wing falling started, everybody who thought who wants to open a school open the school, you know, yeah. and uh, and there was no there was no workbooks of how it needs to be taught uh, wing foiling, and uh, some I think have a lot of experience in very good schools, but there's also especially in the beginning there were schools that maybe were not that experienced with teaching, so we want to make sure that the right safety standards are in place when you learn it, and the right gear. For example, we are giving kind of, uh, well, not licenses, but uh, let's say approvals from our side or recommendations to schools that want to be GWA approved. Um, we have that on the, on the association website. You can look for schools around the world, and we are checking of these schools, for example, have the sufficient experience and sufficient equipment to actually give proper lessons. Okay. Yeah, that, that's something interesting, but this is, actually, because I, I started teaching yeah. three years, two two years ago, and I, I had to make up my own curriculum. So I broke it down scientifically. So like, for me, it was easier for me to describe how to fly a wing as it would be like vertical axis, horizontal axis, horizontal axis makes it fly, and then you can add your power at wherever. But like, I had to break it all down and kind of it helped me learn more, but then you go to a different school, they, they kind of, for us, they were just like, hey, just go ahead and make your curriculum and then just do whatever you think yeah. is best. And then, so for that aspect, we broke it down that way. And then for foiling as well, same thing, right? Like I was like, okay, so you're beginning to foil. A lot of the times I start you sitting, kneeling. And then if you can graduate from that with a big board and a big foil going super slow, just towing, I'll think about standing and then we, there's so many different steps and we were talking to the school about this. Hey, we should put something together, but everybody's probably saying the same thing, <laughs> but like, yeah. it'd be cool yeah. because if you can bring in people, if, if there's a reason why I would join the GWA and give whatever money to that. And then if there's something that we could have for the umbrella for the schools, I think it would give that uniform like IKO, right? It would give that uniformity because yeah. right now um, it's, Given that the rapid acceleration of where this thing can go, I think it's only inevitable until there has to be some sort of insurance based. There's insurance through the IKO through schooling because right now I think they're funneling it through there. But it would be cool to see that as well for winging because they'll, they'll, something will blow up and you'll give recommendations. And then like I think there's going to have to be something that's coming. No, it needs to be. It needs to, in a way... I think it depends on the country. Obviously, there are, let's say, in Europe, it's a bit more regulated, and I think you cannot do any water sports schools without having insurance. But of course, there are countries in Asia or Africa or even, I don't know, wherever, true. where nobody controls yeah, that. Yeah, that's true. And whatever happens, happens. Yeah. So, and this is not good. Yeah. I mean, this is, I think, for 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 the for the end consumer who wants to take the lessons, that's kind of a risky thing. They might go to, I don't know. I don't know where, let's say in Zanzibar or anywhere in the world where they're going to get some lesson and whatever happens, um, you know, it's a, the school would teach out of a van or, well, it doesn't matter, they can teach out of a van, but at least have proper equipment and have insurance if things happen mm -hmm. and they need to have that in place. Yeah. So we've been asking all these schools who wanted to be part of that list that we have on the GWA, uh, not on the World Tour website, there's the association website and also the World Tour website. So it's Global Wing Sport Association that we've been asking them. Obviously, we can't control it because we cannot fly to every school and check if it's true, but we've been asking 
um, you know, what equipment they use, how many equipment, how they teach one-on-one -on -one or what amount of groups people um, to get an idea. But that's a, you know, that's a, a separate project in its own besides the world tour, uh, completely different. Nice. Well, man, thanks for, uh, thanks for the chat. This has been pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, not very many times you can just sit there and chat about wings and surf and foils and everything else. If there's anybody looking to reach out to you, uh, wants to connect, what's the easiest way for them to do that? Uh, just send me an email. Yeah. Um, I said, um, uh, my email is Tom at global wing sports association.org. Um, maybe we can link that also with the podcast. If there's any info regarding the world tour, I'm happy to answer that. Um, awesome. or, yeah, or, me or one of my team. So we have also the official address, which is the info at globalwingsports.org, wingsportsassociation.org. Um, I'm not the only one working at the tour, so we have a bunch of people and I am, um, yeah, sometimes have a lot on my, on my plate. So, um, there might be some mm -hmm. other people, uh, answering things but um yeah we're, we're here to help and uh i always try to we have obviously a lot of new and young people that when they come in the tour they have questions and we, we are trying to to serve them as good as we can and, uh, and really be helpful with that yeah no i love i love the direction it's going how everybody is working in that community aspect and it's just the stoke to come back and the water is just growing so um yeah hey thanks a lot for joining us i'd love love to have you back on because i'm curious to see where all these new disciplines and and how how the tour is going to evolve so we'll definitely have to back on for another chat and hopefully tom will be on so it'll be tom tom and luke next time yeah, yeah that'll be sweet. Well, anytime maybe <laughs> maybe when we finish the season end of the season we can have another one and, and recap a little bit yeah. and see what's on for 2024 sure. yeah. yeah that would be absolutely amazing well hey man i hope you enjoy mauritius it's on my list i saw it and there's a couple riders from uh from ocean rodeo because i spend my summers on vancouver island with family and they had a couple trips out to mauritius it looks yeah. it looks unreal yeah yeah like so yeah definitely Reese, definitely uh, it's on my list the son of richard yeah exactly multiple times and, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah we're getting more and more of a wing you know wing scene here as well uh it's a well if you want to ride waves um, it's probably one of the best players in the world, I think. And uh, if you if you keen for that any time, you let me know. Okay, yeah, sounds good. And you you have equipment for rent, so if there's people looking to travel yeah. to Mauritius, we have they could contact you as well. Okay. Exactly, we have wingfall equipment for rent here as well. So half a lot of people that come and they don't want to bring their own stuff. We got uh, mm -hmm. we can sort them with anything from beginner to wave gear. Um, big boards to the smallest ones Beautiful. the same for foils so okay they can contact me as well but that's probably on a different address because that's not going to be through the tour but but we yeah i can no. leave that uh, as well maybe uh, somewhere and um yeah uh Zion mauritius is our company here so if they are keen to okay. um rent or get lessons on wing foiling then uh yeah, we can we can sort them out. Thanks for joining Tom and I on this episode. We hope you enjoyed it, and we'll see you next time.